Welcome to Christ in Prophecy and our series on Jesus in the Old Testament. Nathan and I have arrived at a book that we've been excited to present to you for some time, that being Ezekiel. Nathan, what do we have to look forward to in Ezekiel? Oh my goodness, uh, this Jesus in the Old Testament series has been fantastic. I've loved finding the Christophanies and the typologies that point to Jesus or are actual physical manifestations of Jesus. But we're finally in Ezekiel and we get one of the most blatant, right out Christophany, right in the beginning. I know we should probably jump in and do the background of the book, but let me just read this because you said excitement and I get excited. So you go to chapter 8 in Ezekiel, verse 2, it says, Then I looked and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire from the appearance of his waist and downward fire and from his waist and upward like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. And he orders these angels to go out and do things. Now you jump to Revelation 1 and you read that exact same description and right there, that's Jesus Christ. We are reading about Jesus Christ giving a prophecy directly to Ezekiel. Now, poor Ezekiel lived in a time period when uh, after centuries of the Jewish people disobeying God, he finally said, all right, we're going to fulfill Moses' prophecy. It's time to exile you. So at 25 years old, Ezekiel is a young man. It's about 600 yep. BC. And he and the Jewish people from Jerusalem was the first exile out. He was one of the first and so five years later, he's 30 years old, he's sitting by in this foreign land and he's bemoaning the fact that the Jewish people are exiled out of the land and he gets a vision from angels that say, okay, you are now going to be a prophet, which is interesting because at 30 years old, Ezekiel would be an actual prophet. So his ministry time period is 593 to 565 BC, and that's the context for where we're at. Well, and we know that Ezekiel was actually a priest. He was a priest by his lineage, but he is there among the, uh, the exiles, and his name itself has meaning. Like most Hebrew names, and, and quite frankly, many of our names, uh, our parents tried to give us a name of meaning, but Ezekiel means God is strong. And so even as he's in exile, even though he's trying to serve as a priest, we don't know exactly what role that would have been during the exile, but God is still ministering through him, and his name testifies to God is our strength. I love that fact even about him. And certainly he does point to the Lord throughout his prophecies, oh, yeah. but Jesus is the one who brings revelation, just as he did, like you said, to the Apostle John. And it's a fun name, Ezekiel ben Buzi, or Buzai, you know, <laughs> he's, he was from the priestly line of Zadok. So here's a priest who has no temple to be a priest in. And so God calls him then instead to be a prophet and to bring him a message. Uh, maybe we can uh, cover a little bit about how he was a pre uh, yes. prophet, because it's neat. There's three types of prophets you could read in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Some had overlapping, but we know the writing ones because they've actually written stuff yes. and like Ezekiel did, for instance, and the number of the minor prophets, Daniel. But then we also have the um, verbal prophets like Elijah and Elisha who didn't write anything, but they were recorded what they did and their prophecies last to today. But the fun ones are the acting prophets. Oh, and yes. The acting prophets, God says, okay, you need to physically do something. Usually it was quite humiliating yeah. and you need to do this. So for instance, Ezekiel builds this little model of Jerusalem, which you can see the model of Jerusalem in, in Jerusalem. Yes, it can. probably wasn't that fancy, but, and he did this little, like, uh, he was like a kid playing and having war in front of it. And then he also had to cut up the hair of his beard and show that, that only a remnant would be left. Or he tied himself up and laid on one side to in indicate how long he would, uh, Jerusalem would be besieged. And he even had to cook food and over feces to show that, you know, this is the, the, 
terrible situation morally that the Jewish people were in right now. So God caused him to have to give messages out, but uh, by acting them, they, they kind of had more of an impact. They certainly did. I think sometimes we know that our children can learn not just from our words. Sometimes the words go above their heads, but when they see us act, and that's a good application, quite frankly, just for a moment for all of us as parents and grandparents. We are always being watched by our children, our grandchildren, and how we behave and in what we do. And so we need to, uh, to follow our, our own words. In other words, uh, model the things that we claim. And that's true with Ezekiel. He modeled what the Lord was revealing to him. But we have so many other Christophanies. Give us a few examples, Nathan, because you've hit the most dramatic one there in chapter 8. But where else do we see Christ throughout this book? Well, let me step one back. Let Please me give do. you the outline of the book. That's so even that people, better. Because yes. it actually, I believe, is a Christophany. So chapters 1 through 24 of Ezekiel, the prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem, particularly 1 through 11, are prophecies about the Jewish people. They are as evil as all can get out. They are idol worshipers. Matter of fact, even in the temple itself, the women had put up a statue of Tammuz and worshiped instead of the Lord. Uh, the men were worshiping other idols, so they had turned the temple of the Lord into a pantheon of various idols, gods and goddesses. The people were terrible to each other. And so what you had is you had this terrible situation where the people had utterly rejected God. And so God was saying, okay, again, I gave this prophecy to Moses that if you all continually rebelled against me, I would exile you out of the land. We're here. It's time to exile. So they are leaving the land. And then, well, God says, well, in chapters 25 through 32, that the nations around you are just as evil. You were supposed to be an influence to the nations around you, but they're just as evil. You actually became like those mm -hmm. nations. You accepted. And we see that today as, as a worldly, the church keeps bringing in the world yes. to try to be more acceptable. And that's what the Jewish people did. Particularly, we're talking about the, the nation of Judah. Israel had already been exiled out of the land. Then we get to chapter 33, and this is God's last call. It's like, it's time for you all to repent. Otherwise, I'm leaving the temple. I'm out of here. The people didn't listen to the prophets. Ezekiel's message was pretty much unheeded. But then you get to chapters 34 through 48. So I, I wish we had so much time. Hopefully, we'll do another series. We will we do another series. That's because there's so much to cover. But 34 through 48 is about God's restoration for Israel. Now, you can take this outline and look at Jesus's first coming ministry. And what was his ministry? You all are evil. You need to repent or I will leave you. But I am here now. I call you to repentance. Be my savior. And I promise you restoration. Now for us as the church, it's spiritual restoration, but we still have the promise of the Davidic kingdom. And he even has prophecies about the rebuilding of resurrecting the Jewish people, the Valley of Dry Bones, where they become a nation once more though no heart for the Lord just yet, because Isaiah 11 says they will be regathered a second time in unbelief. But then this terrible battle will happen. We got the tribulation time period. And then chapters 40 through 48 describe the millennial kingdom where Jesus as king rules and reigns from the seat of David over Jerusalem and over the world. And it's a time of peace and righteousness and justice. So the outline of Ezekiel matches the Lord's teachings, of course, because the Lord inspired and told Ezekiel Certainly. to teach us. So I believe that the outline of the book of Ezekiel also acts as a Christophany. Well, I think that's a beautiful insight. And as a matter of fact, I think you bring up another point about prophets in general and Ezekiel in particular. You know, we think of prophets as being people who see the future. And, and that is true. That is their 
foretelling ability, whether it's in written form, whether it was verbal, and many of the prophets only spoke, or whether it is in actions. We see the Lord using actions. So the Valley of Dry Bones, which is a favorite for many of us because uh, it's so visually and just so graphic, and we can imagine those bones coming to life. That is a beautiful visual aid to make a very dramatic point about what the Lord is promising to Israel. So all these things are, are foretellings that Ezekiel is given as a prophetic word, but he is also forthtelling yeah. to his yeah. people that are contemporary to that day and age. He's calling them to repent, to return back to the Lord, and of course they do not. I love the fact that early in his ministry, when the Lord calls Ezekiel, he actually says, I'm going to make your head harder than flint. In chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, he says, Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. So, in other words, when we're called hard-headed, uh, there's a, a godly reason sometimes for that, to be hard-headed. Not stubborn, but at least determined to speak truth. He said, do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are rebellious people. And then in verse 11 of that same chapter, chapter 3, the Lord says, Go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, and speak to them and tell them whether they listen or not. Mm -hmm. And so that is a forthtelling role that Ezekiel is calling the people to embrace truth, to understand what God is revealing. And the Lord says, they will not listen, they're rebellious people, but your responsibility isn't their response, your responsibility is to communicate truth and to testify to the living God. And I think that is so freeing for us even today. So His message is still forthtelling to us, it is not our responsibility whether or not the world heeds our message, whether or not the world embraces the truth that we reveal about the living God, our responsibility is to testify to Him, and the Lord expects us to do that. He's commanded us to do that, to speak truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Other people's response, they will be held accountable for. And it's a strong argument against this, what's called the post-millennial view, that the church will uh, evangelize the entire world, and eventually the world will get better and better, and will usher in a golden age of the church, and then Jesus comes and the church hands in the kingdom. Well, that goes against everything that Scripture teaches, that the prophets, the church, and all, for the most part, the only people that will respond are those who the Lord calls His sheep. And He's the great shepherd. Matter of fact, uh, another Christophany, if you go to Ezekiel 34, ah. is it, it talks about how the Israel's leaders are false teachers. They're false shepherds. They lead the people away from God into sin. But you go to John 10, 11 through 12, and we learn that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's contrasted. He leads the people back to himself. And so it's already pointing that, okay, this is a comparison. Your leaders are evil and false, but you need then to go to the good shepherd to go in the right direction. Likewise, Ezekiel 34, 4 talks about how the people are sick, spiritually sick, and then, of course, physically sick from their sins. But we read in Luke 19.10 about how Jesus is the good physician. He heals us not only of our physical infirmities, yes. but also of our spiritual infirmities as well. And uh, so there's, there's Christophanies all throughout. There's angels all throughout too. I mean, chapter 1, we get into the, and this isn't a Christophany, but uh, we learn what God's throne is like. Oh, and this blows my amazing. mind because you picture this throne that's immobile and, and all. But what we read in Ezekiel 1 is that the throne of God he sits on there, and it looks like a rainbow above him. He's energy. And underneath are these wheels within the wheels with four angels, each having four different faces. And then they carry the throne of God. But the throne doesn't move. The universe moves, and God stays stationary. So 
I wrote this book called The Mighty Angels of Revelation, which we, we covered the angels that are in the book of Revelation, but you have to go also point to Ezekiel here. And I did sneak in Ezekiel to talk about, they're called the cherubim. And most people, when they think of the cherubim, they think of these cute little children, pudgy little kids with a diaper and a bow and arrow. Right. No, these are these massive four-winged, four-faced angels that serve the Lord by carrying him throughout the universe. And you can only find that in Ezekiel and then again in Revelation. Well, Ezekiel gives us such, again, graphic de uh, descriptions of heaven, of the man he encounters, we know, we believe is a pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany, and all the other visions that he sees are so dramatic. Again, whether it's the dry bones, uh, the Lord speaking to mountains. I love the fact he is giving a prophecy in chapter 38 to the very mountains themselves, uh, or excuse me, in chapter 36, promising that the mountains will be blessed. And so personifying even inanimate objects, we know that the whole world groans under the, uh, the, the curse since the fall. And so God is making a promise to the mountains of Israel that they will no longer be despised. But even the fact that for years they were desolate, it was because God was preserving and protecting the land, even from the pagan peoples all around, so that at some point, which we know was just in recent human history, the Jewish people would stream back to their promised land. Ezekiel is so exciting, and you're exactly right. We could spend many weeks talking about this book, and someday we will turn to it to do just that. What's really fascinating, too, about this dry bones, which you can read about in Ezekiel 36 and 37, is it's a prophecy that a nation that had been dead will come back to life again. And we are living in the middle of that prophecy, Tim. That's, to me, that just blows my mind that everything leading up to there is about Israel's fall, Israel's rejection, Israel's exile. Right. God had... A lot of Christians over the centuries think that God has wiped his hands of the Jews, but no, no, you get to 36 and 37, and he says, I'm going to take this nation, like a bunch of bones lying out in the field, I'm going to put them back together, and I'm going to give them a new heart. Now, we know that follows is Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, which is the Gog-Magog yes. war, where, where Russia and the Islamic nations like Persia and Turkey, or Iran, Turkey, uh, Sudan, all these will come against Israel because a hook is pulling their leader Gog down to plunder Israel. Well, we live in the, just in the last 10 years, Israel's made a major natural gas fine. And already in the news, you can read about constantly how Russia is starting to want, and Lebanon and these other countries want that because Israel's gas can compete with Russia, whose 40% of their economy is selling gas to Europe. So we now know what the hook is. But we know the end result is when God comes down, he will, Israel can't stand up against this massive army. God will destroy those nations. He'll even send fire on their countries. And then the people will have a heart for God. Not mm. not, yet, not their son yet. There's the tribulation that still has yes. to happen. But that's when we'll probably, and I think we'll be raptured before them, but that's when the temple's rebuilt. So when we see in here the temple where God left, and maybe you could tell us a little more about God sure leaving will. the temple, uh, and then Jesus coming back, we're going to actually see in the millennial kingdom, Jesus will be in the temple. Well, what's amazing even <coughs> now, when you go to Israel, you can see with your own eyes. This is why pilgrims love to, to go to Israel and see with their own eyes the fulfillment of some of these very prophecies, the Ezekiel 37, for example. And yet, to many Jewish people who are regathered to Israel, they don't get it. They don't understand that they are a living fulfillment of Bible prophecy. I've even testified myself. I was there when Dr. Reagan would testify at the Israel Hall of Independence where David Ben-Gurion declared the modern state of Israel to come to life in fulfillment of these prophecies. 
And we have given presentations and even the hotel guy, or excuse me, the museum guide would say, I had no idea of the scriptural or biblical implications of even my own nation's existence. And they're the ones offering people a tour of the museum. Yeah. And so there just is a blindness. When that war occurs, the Ezekiel 38 war, you're exactly right. People will recognize the miraculous nature of that defeat of Israel's enemies, and yet they still will not be ready to embrace Christ. You know, Nathan, we have a tremendous uh, product that we have provided in the past, a DVD by Dr. Reagan on the wars of the end times. And so I would just encourage if anybody wants to dive deep regarding the wars of the end times, that you would get this DVD. That is gonna be our special offer for today because we don't have time to dive into the wars themselves, but it is a fascinating study. And I will promise that at some point down the road, we will return to this topic and go more methodically through the various wars that will happen in the end times. But for today, I do uh, want to share, because you mentioned the glory leaving the temple, Ezekiel describes in heartbreaking detail, and he's a prophet, so he's giving a broad overview, but I just want to bring out some of the passages that highlight this glory leaving the temple and then the prophetic promise of the glory returning. Excellent, because it's key to the book of Ezekiel. It really is key. So if you go to Ezekiel chapter 9, beginning in verse 3, Ezekiel has been brought to see the city. He's, he's witnessed the slaughter. As a matter of fact, uh, he sees this man, as you described already in the beginning of chapter 8. But verse 3 of chapter 9, he says, Then the glory of the God the, of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the writing case. So in other words, the glory of God that was residing on the Ark of the Covenant between those two golden angels on the, the mercy seat, the lid. The glory went from that place to the threshold of the temple. So he is beginning to leave even the Holy of Holies in Ezekiel's vision. Then I'll skip down to chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. He says, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple, and the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Just like when he came for the first time, as described further back in the Old Testament, when the glory of the Lord filled the temple for the first time. And it says, Moreover, the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when He speaks. Again, He's getting ready to move. So the cherubim are at, at, at work, their wings are fluttering, and He's leaving, going to the threshold. Then, in verse 18 and 19, it says, Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them, just like you described. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. Then, skipping down to chapter 11, verse 22 through 24, it says, Then the cherubim lifted their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. Which mountain is that? That's the Mount of Olives. So the glory of the Lord is departing to the east. east. And he said, and then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me by, in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea. So the vision I had seen left me. The glory of the Lord leaving the mercy seat, going to the threshold of the temple, going to the eastern gate, then going to the Mount of Olives and departing. But we know that that's not the end of the story. You know, when Suleiman heard that there was going to be a prophet coming or this great Jewish uh, Messiah, he ordered that that eastern gate be sealed up. That happened in 1536. But that's not going to stop the Lord. So Ezekiel sees 
the Lord's return in a series of verses. If we go to chapter 44, verse 1 and 3, he said that he brought me back by the way of the outer gate to the sanctuary which faces the east, and it was shut. And he said to me, this gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, no one shall enter it. For the Lord of the God of the God of Israel has entered by it, therefore it shall be shut. As for the prince, he will sit in as prince to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the porch of the gate and shall go out by the same way. Jesus Christ entered the temple area and came and went in fulfillment, in pre-fulfillment of this prophetic word. But we know that when He comes back, and I'll just continue reading on, that He will return where? First to the Mount of Olives. We're promised that in Zechariah chapter and that's 14. East of, and that's east, east of so Jerusalem. Just a reversal of how he Just the reversal. Zechariah says in chapter 14, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when He fights on a day of battle. In that day His feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from the east to the west to a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Suleiman even commanded that a cemetery, a Muslim cemetery, be planted in front of the eastern gate so that no holy Jewish man would come through that cemetery. That's not going to stop the Lord. He will return to the Mount of Olives and then go into that eastern gate. We're told in Revelation 19, uh, John sees this vision of the heavens opened and behold, a white horse. He who is Set on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe, dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, that's us, white and clean, we're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I just I get excited about what is about to take place. Going back to Ezekiel chapter 43, he says, and here's the return of this glory. He said, then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming by the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision I saw by the river Chebar. And I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord, this very Shekinah glory, came into the house by way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Then I heard one speaking to me from the house. While a man was standing beside me, he said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell with the sons of Israel forever. You know, David wrote about this great moment when he, in his exuberant excitement, said in Psalm 24, verse 7, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So Ezekiel has seen the glory departing. 
He sees the glory returning, and we know that happens when Jesus Christ returns to reign on this earth. Oh, Praise the Lord. Hey, well said. Well said, brother. Well, it's neat too is that because what it's describing is the millennial kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ from this earth. And there's going to be some name changes going on. You're talking about Jesus ruling and reign from Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is going to have its name changed. Exactly. One of my key verses I picked was 4835, which says that the name of Jerusalem will be changed to Yahweh Shema, which means the Lord is there. So we won't call it Jerusalem anymore. We'll call it Yahweh Shema. And Jesus we won't be calling him Jesus Christ anymore, but we'll be calling him Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. So Yahweh Sidkenu is how we will start addressing Jesus. And it talks about how his throne in this, because Ezekiel spends many chapters explaining what the new temple, and it's going to be huge. And from the throne, the river of life, kind of similar to what you see in heaven with the heavenly throne room, it's a shadow of that will flow out of Jesus' throne oh. and down into the Dead Sea. Yes. And he's going to bring the Dead Sea to life. Now, you and I have been to the Dead Sea. Uh, it yes, is nothing grows in the Dead Sea. But the Bible prophesies that during the Millennial Kingdom, it'll have life, it'll have fish, it'll have fishermen, it'll have bounty. And we read how back in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, that area used to be a garden. Lot wanted that land because it was so bountiful. Today, it's dead. And it's a symbol of how the Lord brings life back from death. Yes. And the whole book of Ezekiel, I think, is pointing to that fact. If we, uh, my application, at least for this, is the, the whole structure of Ezekiel says that we are fallen in sin and dead, but the Lord returns to bring back life as long as we repent and turn to Him. Amen, It's a whole salvation message tied into 48 chapters. And you know, we don't have to wait. Yes, there's going to be glorious restoration of life when Jesus reigns from the throne of His Father David on Mount Zion. But we can tap into that life right now. We can attach ourselves to the living vine Amen. and flourish even now. Yeah, we're going to have troubles in this world, but that's not what constrains us. Just like uh, we, we know many people have tribulation, little t, but they still have great joy. You know, one of my key verses is in chapter 18, verse 32. Ezekiel has described uh, the, the horrors that are going to befall Israel, and he says, repent, this is in verse 30, and turn away from your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, for, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And then the Lord says this, for I have no pleasure in the death of, death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. And that, too, is the gospel message. Mm -hmm. Folks, we encourage you right now. Do not delay. Do not wait. Repent and live. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Tap into His life-giving Spirit. And right now, you can have life everlasting, which will fill you with joy to overflowing. You'll be excited about the Lord's return, just like we are. And so, throughout the book of Ezekiel, we have this gospel message, and we have visions of our soon-returning King. Amen. Uh, for my last key verse before we close, I want to give this 39.8. Uh, excuse me, 38.8. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Why does the Lord do all this? He wants the world to know Him as their Savior. He certainly does. And I'll add one other, and that's in chapter 34, verse 11, 15, and 22 and 23. The Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest. And in verse 22, he says, I will deliver my flock and they will no longer be a prey. And I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. 
and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Amen. A, a picture, as you said already, Nathan, of Jesus Christ. Folks, we're excited about the Lord's return. We pray you are as well. We hope you'll join us again next week for Christ in Prophecy as we continue to look for Jesus in the Old Testament. Thank you.